Hello, my name is Steve Caldwell. I'd like to welcome you to the very first episode of Here's the Thing, an honest matter about mental health. I'll be co-hosting this podcast with my friend, neighbour and former schoolmate, Ruth Scott. Before we start, we'd like to say neither of us are experts. We just hope to start vital conversations surrounding mental health issues and partner with you, the listener. Whether you're caring for someone who is walking through mental illness or you yourself are going through a difficult season. We'd like to also say a massive thank you to our sponsors, Brian Close Transport and Top of the Town in Altrim, who've given us all the support we've needed to make this pod possible. Tonight, we're delighted to welcome as our first guest to the pod, my little bro, Dave Caldwell, and his lovely wife, Rachel, my sister-in-law and friend, who are going to talk honestly about the challenge of walking with someone through mental health difficulties. We hope wherever you're listening today that listening to this podcast will remind you that it's more than okay not to be okay, that storms don't last forever, and mental illness won't have the final word in your story. We hope you enjoy Order Ruth, Dave and Rachel. Okay, so in the spirit of getting things started, we'll just dive right in. Um, So when Steve suggested this as a topic, I thought, yes, this is something that really resonates with me for like a couple of reasons. So a few years ago, someone, so I was quite, quite a good friend with just off the bat one day, gave me a call and was like, I, I tried to take my own life last night and I have never felt immense pressure like it in my life. And for the next three, six, nine months after that, I felt like I was on high alert all of the time like every every day I'd be like how are you feeling are you under pressure today and like they lived in a they worked in a high pressure job I knew they were under pressure and every little thing I was afraid was going to tip them over the edge so really what I want to chat to you guys about is is living through that as well like I know now having gone through that plus um my work has like a lot of support for um, mental health and stuff like that so we have a lot of training in mental health first aid I know there is help out there for the people the carers the family and stuff but I guess I wanted to chat to you guys about how you feel about that and your own experiences yeah. um so I don't really know you guys so I'm going to treat this as a proper introduction for me as well I just know you as Steve's little brother and you're his lovely wife <laughs> so um before we like get into the nitty-gritty um well, we just have a chat about like your backgrounds and like you can talk about what you do and yeah, yeah. Where, so where, what brought you here today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, obviously I'm Dave. Um, I'm a primary school teacher uh, in the local area. I've been teaching now for three years. Um, before that, I was involved working with young people and, and families in, in a community youth work role. Um, for five years, um, yeah, passionate about sport, play football, um, work with young people and seeing them fulfill their true potential. I think that's part of the reason why I went into teaching. Um, but yeah, this is about means both of them. Yeah, so I'm Rachel and um, my job during the day is that I'm a social worker um, and I suppose I get to come into contact with all different walks of life and people who are going through different things and that sometimes involves, you know, mental health issues. Um, and I suppose in life, I've done a bit of 
studying in terms of I did psychology at uni and then I did some training and counselling so we've done a bit of voluntary work in that um, over the years and that's been probably the majority of that's been in grief counselling do the likes of cruise um, so yeah I find that I, that has been really helpful in my job now um, because I am working with all ages of people um, through all different things they're going through um, so yeah nice um, so the thing that automatically strikes me is that you're both in like a kind of empathetic, caring role in like your professional lives. Yeah. So I feel like that almost has like set you up to to take on that caring role within your family as well. Um, Steve has mentioned before like the history with your dad and stuff. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a bit about that. If you don't, yeah, that's no, fine. Um, I suppose really goes back to when I was probably nine or ten. Um. Dad was obviously a hero growing up, you know, took us to football games. Um, he was a secondary school teacher, um, full of life, full of humour. Remember he used to do things like on a Friday afternoon, he would uh, do the old trick of putting his hand behind your ear and uh, <laughs> bringing out the sweets, that old chestnut. But um, just, yeah, a picture of, you know, life and vitality. Um, and then, yeah, when I was around nine or ten, um, Dad started being off work and he my sort of la- lasting memory of that is him lying on the sofa and me not knowing really what was wrong um, here and then mum would have said this tummy sore stuff like that me not sure but seeing then a grad- like a-, a change in his personality that spark that um, life for him was gone I remember actually Christmas day I think it was 2000 Steve telling me I think we were playing the PS1 at the time um, I remember him telling me dad's got depression and I had no clue what that meant but um, over the next five or six years of my life it became clear what that was and that it just completely ripped um, dad's life and vigour and sense of self completely away um, as he got more and more withdrawn, more and more ruthless of getting up early in the morning and um, maybe giving us a lift to school and then getting back into bed and um, trying desperately to try and get back into work again and that not working out for him just too stressed and um, him then refusing to eat. Um, I've just images of mum going up and down the stairs um, with full plate of different, you know, tray of different foods and coming back down again five minutes later with the same one touch tray. I think that'll, that'll be one that'll live with me, you know, because it's just that picture of um, a woman's love for her husband, but also the pain of that rejection of the food. And just that dad was that broken. He had obviously had a breakdown. Um, through his, his job and stuff like that and uh, yeah he'd come to the point just where he's very mentally ill and um, I think at this point as well I just want to shout out mum um, because just the selfless love and the just her heart through that all you know um, raising myself and obviously Steve and Jenny my sister as well through that you know through that being in bed um, just that whole journey and her working away and, and being sort of just doing everything she could to try and make sure dad was okay but yeah um, I guess for me I think back in those early teenage years and it wasn't dad's fault but you know at times I miss things like him not coming to my football matches or coming to things that I would have been involved in um, and even I remember 2005 was the Champions League final and, and dad's a big Liverpool fan like Steve and I both are and it was all and Liverpool had got there somehow to the final and Dad was upstairs in bed. He just completely disinterested, didn't want to know. I remember running up, run upstairs and telling him Liverpool have, have came back in the game, they've won and stuff and he was just 
completely unmoved by it, you know. And, and normally, before the breakdown, that would have been there, get on almost, you Blank know. Out. Yeah, and I just didn't care. But that was just what that happened with his, his mental health is just in such a poor state. And did you know at that stage that it was a breakdown and he had depression or... I don't think I knew really. at that time. I would have been about 16 and I wouldn't really have known then what I know now in terms of just over life and sort of digging into things and even conversations with that about what he's going through. Um, Has he been quite open about it since? I think, yeah, as times went on, you know, it's become easier for him to just maybe at certain points when he feels comfortable to say, you know, this is how I felt at that time. This is what was going on. It just has came out kind of organically. Um, it hasn't been something that I've forced or anyone's forced, but he's over the years maybe become maybe as he's had his own journey of that of you know coming to a better place although he's, he's still heavily medicated today and probably always will be but he's in a much better place in the fact that you know he has his enjoyment and he's out seeing his family and he's out for walks and he's out he's interested in the things he loves again whereas at that time i just remember him being in bed basically maybe 20 hours a day and i didn't quite know why and it was that sort of sense of anger almost against the world or the injustice what's why why was I was ask you that were you angry i think i was i think i just had maybe you know had that up in frustration as a teenager because i wasn't really sure um what was going on you know i think mom and support of the rest of the family and other maybe youth leaders through church and youth group and stuff really supported me through those times and struggles and people you know had a great group of friends growing up who were I still still are, you know, massively important of helping journey with me through ever through whatever life throws at me, you know. But um yeah, it's only really in retrospect I've understood what was going on. You know, but I remember probably the worst of it was him going into Hollywell and um, to get his medication changed and stuff, you know, but I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was down to like eight or nine it was that like nine stone or something like that, you know, so he was basically wasn't eating, um, because he just come to this place where it was just so low. Um but yeah, thankfully he got he got the medication, got the support, and he got the input needed. Um, but yeah, over that whole chapter again, I just want to say about mum and her um, love, her selfless love for my dad and for us all through that, and I just nothing would put her off the track of doing her best for those she loved, you know. And it was a fierce, never giving up kind of love, you know. Um, which yeah, just incredible. Your mom is like the nicest person in the world. So like, I don't really know her from Adam. Yeah, yeah. But since her and Steve have moved back to Brentwood, I was like walking the kids one day, you know, the laps to get one of them to sleep. <laughs> and I seen this woman coming towards me. I was like, I know who that is. That is Steve Caldwell's mom. And she stopped and stood a load of the kids. I was like, this is going to be really weird. But he's Steve's mom. And she's like, yes. <laughs> and we must have stood in chatted for like 10 or 15 minutes. I was like, I've been in your house as a teenager and she's like, no way. And I was like, yeah, Steve's the 18th birthday party. Everybody was very sad about going to university. <laughs> but like, we were all in your house. Yeah, yeah. Nicest woman in the world. Like, you wouldn't know what, like, she's been through what she's yeah, been yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. She's um, incredibly strong. Like, yeah, just as a person. And she's been through so much, but she just keeps going. Yeah. Should have brought her to eat. <laughs> that would have been lovely. Um, since then, so there was a reason why I wanted to ask you about your dad. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you've constantly been on the lookout for signs of ill mental health between like anybody, your dad falling ill again, like mm -hmm. yourself showing signs of like depression, anxiety, or like Steve or Jenny? Have you been on like high alert since like your teenage uh, years? 
Probably not. I think it's more probably in my twenties and stuff that I was more aware of it and aware of you know those those things in family. And, and I think even Dad would probably say you know about him growing up through the troubles as well. You know, maybe some of that had an impact on him and some of the things he went through. Um, but I wouldn't say like I lived in fear of it. I think I was. I think I've been more aware of like looking after your own mental health as I've gotten older and I've like through jobs and through different experiences I've, I've been more aware of yeah trying to have good mental health and um trying to look after myself and you know self-care and trying to make sure I'm not susceptible to you know something like that happening to me I guess so I guess in the back of your mind it's it can be there at times yeah but it's not like a, a fear I'd have. It's just something you're aware of, you know. It's something that you know's been in your family, you know. Yeah, it's like I'm. I'm not sure because we're not experts. Like I don't know if it's hereditary or yeah. like you. Like not that you live in fear, but it's almost a foregone conclusion that this is probably going to come to one of us yeah. at some yeah. stage. Yeah. But I mean, I guess on the other hand, you've seen your dad come through it, mm. and like with all the care from the family and friends and stuff, like you knew you could probably get through yeah. something like yeah. that yourselves. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been part of conversations or heard you have conversations with like our friends who have maybe got parents who've got, you know, mental health issues or have had mm -hmm. mental health issues. And like, I know I've heard you talking about, you know, things that you do that like prevent you from getting anxious or stressed or, you know, like even just things like getting a good night's sleep and, you know, other friends being like, yeah, that, that really helps me or whatever. Um, Cause like, I think there is definitely something out there. I've definitely read before about like how trauma can, impact on DNA and I suppose the fact that we live in Northern Ireland makes us that more susceptible and like a lot of our parents have lived through trauma before they had children so then genetically it is passed on apparently and I'm not an expert in it but I, it is interesting because you kind of think oh it, it, there is that predisposition but then there's probably situational factors as well that come into it but um, it's just incredible how genes can in some way play a part of that because whenever I was you know thinking about things as well i was thinking about you know in pregnancy you also go to the midwife and they'll ask you questions that you're booking in about you know past you know, like family stuff and it's usually like heart conditions yeah. and diabetes and all that kind of stuff and they said to me like is there any things going on and i said oh well in my family there's you know my husband's father would have you know mental health issues and they kind of went oh well we weren't really talking about that and i was like all oh, right okay so i felt a wee bit foolish but yeah to me that obviously that was something that was on my mind you know mm. because i felt the need to bring it up and they were kind of like all oh, right yeah okay but because i do think that is important and i just kind of felt to bring that up but Brush i think sometimes yeah it's maybe not in people's minds yeah mm. it's more like oh if somebody had a heart condition or if somebody got high blood pressure and you're like mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah but it was just interesting that they were kind of just like oh right yeah okay well that's fine let's like <laughs> next question yeah <laughs> um again there was a reason why i asked you that about looking for the the warning signs or like just the general signs of poor mental health like let's skip forward like a while and talk about steve <laughs> um i'm not sure because we haven't really talked about it like at what point in his journey like you were aware of Steve having like poor mental health or at what stage like you were able to step in and yeah help out uh, I think to be honest really if I was the same in the part at 2013 we'll go back as far as that you know um, Steve finished up in a post and it was and like we were living in the same house for the this overlap for about 10 days while I moved out to go into another role and uh, I just remember Steve being up at the 
toilet, you know, being sick constantly. Um, I think over the course of that year, there was months, and, and as time passed, it became clear, you know, to us all maybe that, that was a, a breakdown or that was burnout, you know, and that's what the doctors had, had told Steve. Um, and I think that's been, yeah, probably the journey that Steve's battled on since those days, you know. Um, and I know you've, you've been a big part of that. I'm not so good with dates, so whenever you said that there, I was like, <laughs> was it? Uh-huh, thanks for that, because I, yeah, if you'd asked me, I wouldn't really know, but I feel like it has been a significant period of time ago that that started, and I suppose, you know, like, thinking about all of this, you know, for tonight, you sort of realise, like, the journey that Steve's been on, that there has been a lot of depths and there has been some high points, and I suppose it has just been, it is difficult as family members, like, walking on, because you do feel helpless, and... I suppose you're just trying to be there for them and you know whatever way you can but whenever you said that I couldn't think of like a specific start point if you know what I mean I know it was around that time whenever Steve finished up his job at that point and I think it was yeah at that point we realized there was something seriously going on um yeah so that's 2013 you didn't live together because that right that's what you just said like you were like did you start to notice like a marked change in like behavior or like the steve that you knew was kind of disappearing yeah i'd say that was yeah it was, it was pretty obvious although i know steve was the master you know in his role as well as, as a lot of people are in you know the depths of depression and mental health problems of covering that up you know so maybe outwardly at times it might have seemed that all was well and there was all roses in the garden but I think it just became clear to us and family as you know at times he'd be more withdrawn or at times he was just you know he yes similar to dad that you know that spark you know had gone uh the sort of sociable i go inside at times it just maybe wouldn't want to go out or he wouldn't want to leave the house or would be less likely to do those things um just become more withdrawn you know um and then obviously came apart in time of getting more medication from the doctors and stuff like that as well to, to support where he was at. Did you feel the need at that time as well, like as a family, as a couple, like to protect your dad almost as well? Like, is that going to like bring something back to like your dad having to like go through it again with like his son or? I think it, I think with dad, he certainly probably wasn't, well, he probably didn't, probably wasn't ready to hear the depths of it yeah. because I know he would have worried then and would have been like a sort of vicious circle and his, it would have made him very anxious but I think you know I know Steve would be close to that as well and I know we would have sent messages at the time because I remember dad sending me and Steve's messaged me about this he's messing with that and he's in the depths he's in the pits you know um, I know dad would have tried hard maybe through football all the way to try and engage him and he would have known he would have, he would have just came around to the flat and just wanted to be in the room by himself and Dad would have said, you know, there was no lights on, if the TV was on, maybe, or he would have been falling asleep. You know, it was just, I think Dad knew, but at the same time, he maybe felt a sense of guilt, I don't know, because of the way he was, but it's it's, it's hard to tell, but yeah. I think we definitely were conscious of your dad and thinking, you know, we didn't want to worry him or, like, make him feel like, as you say, that sense of guilt, because I think sometimes it came across in, you know, things he said or, you know, just even unconsciously you know you could tell maybe that he was thinking that but yeah and just probably things reminding him of his own journey as well 
And then in terms of like your relationships with Steve, like did you take on like a caring role? Like I know we're talking about people that like carers of people with ill mental health, but like did you did you feel like the responsibility of taking on like a role? Like I know I said at the start, like I became hyper vigilant with my friend and like I almost felt it was my responsibility to continually check in and make sure they're okay or if they're not okay like we're doing something about it like yeah. did you I think for me I was living in Korean certainly that first year you know through, through a post so I think I wasn't you know probably as good to, I was at the times almost too engrossed in my own role you know thinking about starting a new post and moving into the area that I, I can't say that I was always checking in um, as much as I would have liked but I think you're always acutely aware of it and even through Maybe times you didn't want to speak to Steve directly in case you didn't want him to think you were... You did want to check in, but you didn't want him to think you were prying for information. Yeah. So it might have been talking to mum or sharing your mum house, Steve, at the minute, or you know, through Jenny or through dad, just through that least support network we had in the family. I know, Rachel, you might have been yeah. seeing Steve a little bit more. I mean, Steve and I have been friends for a long time, even before Dave and I started going out. So we've always had that friendship, you know, which has made being brother and sister-in-law even more special and a cool thing. So um, so even whenever, like, before this happened, we would have been meeting for coffees now and again. And, like, you know, we were close and would have talked about, you know, deeper stuff and had a good relationship. So whenever this happened, I suppose I probably did, you know, keep in more constant communication, whether that was, like, text messages or, like, you know, maybe we would have went out for coffees whenever he was feeling, you know, that in that way inclined or whatever. And... I suppose I just tried to take it as his pace, but it probably wasn't that I felt like hyper vigilant as such, but I think I was just very conscious of keeping in contact and, you know, keeping that communication there and being like, you know, how are you today? And, but Steve was quite good at communicating via message that, you know, at that time, that, but whenever it went quiet, that's when you maybe would have been a bit more worried. And there was times when you got a message that maybe would make your heart sink and you sort of were checking in and like Steve reminded me I kind of had forgotten about it um, that must be my way of coping with things but there was a night where I called Ryan at the door because you know Steve had sent me a message that was sort of made me very worried and I thought I need to actually go and physically say he's okay because um, I was Ryan at youth club around the corner from the house um, at high street and yeah and Dave was up in Korean so I was physically nearer um, as well but yeah so there was times like that where you were just sort of were on tender hooks. I probably wouldn't have thought, oh, I'm a carer or I'm taking on a role because yeah. you just kind of feel like, well, that's your friend or your family and you're just looking out for them and you do what you can, but you're kind of in that situation. You're maybe not even thinking about it. You're just doing it. You know, you're not maybe thinking, oh, what do I do in this situation? How do I? You're almost doing it for your own sanity as well. Like calling around, it's almost to satisfy like yeah. your inner self. Like yeah. I've seen him, he is okay. He's going to be okay for the next however many hours. Yeah. yeah. Like I think, and it was funny I think sometimes you do you are able to block things out you know but there's something you just can't block out that just stay, mm -hmm. and stay with you you know and it was around that time because uh, I remember I was actually still in a house in Korean so that, that's how I can put the time sure because I only was there for a year from like one September to the next um, and I remember it might have been it was during the winter um, it was like in the new year probably around like February time that would have been maybe 2014 but We've always, as a family, we always used to go to Bangor and like a day. And you know, might have had a week away there in a holiday home. I was always having memories, like a day when I went and got fish and chips and for a walk out to the pier. So 
But I remember it was a Saturday night receiving a message from Steve basically saying, I think this syncs up with what Rachel was saying because it was a Saturday night for me, mm-hmm. you know, um, saying, I would love to just go and throw myself in off the pier. You know, so that that was, you know, I, I just remember having the knots in your stomach and feeling grief, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's when Rachel went around. But yeah, it's, it's just things like that that you know the severity of the situation, but at the same time, the, the hard thing is you feeling powerless. Was there ever a time like you just didn't want to pick up the phone as well? You know, you either get a message or you're like, oh, I actually haven't heard from like Steve in a couple of days. Like, do I really want to like pick up the phone to hear something terrible? Mm. You know, like the fear almost? Absolutely. I would say I felt like that a lot over the years, you know, and you were at times where I was fearful about the next message might say or how Steve was feeling because he knew at times he was in the pits of despair and he didn't want to fall into that trap of saying something glib or something meaningless because I know I'm sure that's galling for someone who's in the pits to say you know it's okay not to be okay (laughs) or something corny you know that doesn't really resonate but there were definitely times I felt like that where you were almost sort of afraid. It's like a fight or flight thing, isn't it? Like, do you face it head on or do you just bury your head in the sand for a yeah. couple of hours just to get your own thoughts yeah. straight almost? Yeah. No, it was very much like, I think a lot of the time it was being very conscious of what you were saying. Yeah. Because you wanted to say something with meaning. You didn't want to just be like, oh, I'm sure it'd be all right. Or, you know. Give it because, an hour or two, you'll be grand. Yeah. And like, because we've both done training and those kind of things, like, you know how glib people can be or yeah. like, you know, people are like, oh, no, no, don't be doing that or don't be crying or, you know, oh, sure you wouldn't do something silly like that. You know, you don't want to say those But those are things. the sorts of things <laughs> I would have said before. And like, mm-hmm. not everybody has the experience mm-hmm. of like mental health first aid tuning. And like, yeah. I know in my, not all the times I'm not a psycho, but like, I know that there is like a four step action plan that we would take professionally. Mm-hmm. But like, that is not the way I would have approached it like yeah. pre-training. And so like, I'm just, I'm in awe of people like yourselves that like almost think like that anyway. Like I just don't get it. Like I would have said something meaningless or being like, yeah, it's, it'll be grand. Like I'll come and see you. We'll go for a coffee. You know, not knowing that somebody in the depths isn't able just to get out of it and yeah. go for a coffee. I mean, like I mean, I feel like we've talked about Steve. Like he's a famous person for a while now. <laughs> so. What about your other experiences, like with your own groups of friends and things like that? Like, do you feel more able to have those sort, like those deeper, meaningful conversations, like either as a result of what you've been through as a family or just like as a result of like your professionalness? I don't know whether it's like an age thing or experience or what, but I think like, well, I find as we've got older, well, my personal experience is I have, I don't have as many friends as I would have had yeah. years ago, but the friendships I have are so important to me and I could talk to them about almost anything and I think like you just realize you know there's no point in hiding stuff and like we have both become parents in the last couple of years and you know we have people in our lives that we feel we can be 100% honest with and like voice note in the the moments when you're struggling and you know talk about a hard night maybe if you hadn't had a good night's sleep and I think just you just realize there's so much freedom in just being honest about what's happening in your life. I don't know if it is an age thing. I think it's an age. I'm putting myself in the same age group as you, and I'm not. I'm much older. But, like, I definitely feel the same as you do. Like, as I've got older, my friendship groups got smaller and we have more meaningful conversations. But, like, 
I have friends who I'm quite close with their younger siblings and they're like teenagers, but they are much more able to have those open conversations with each other now as well, mm-hmm. like, which I find incredible. We would never have talked like that openly and deeply as teenagers. Like if you didn't talk about superficial things, you just didn't talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if it's just a societal thing now. Or... Well, certainly I was meant to say earlier, I mean, even with dad at the time, I can look back on it and definitely realize there was such a stigma about mental health. Definitely. And a lot of times there still is even today, but it probably wouldn't have been documented that widely. Yeah. You know, why he wasn't in school anymore or why he wasn't at the gathering or why, you know, it would have been very hush hush. Yeah. Um it's almost like people foresee you as really a weakness or, you know, are you, are you gonna need a man in the white coats to come and take you away type thing. You know, there's really ignorance about it. But now I feel like even like just through I mean, when I worked up in the North Coast, we had different groups coming in and do you know, like aware and stuff mm-hmm. and, and doing like talks for mental health and I, I remember we had a men's group and uh, this image is just stick with me but it was a talk about mental health and support and the woman finished and said basically any questions and there was about 20 men got up there was a queue there was a queue of men and that just stays in my head because I'm like there was such it was a clear visual of how much need there was you know and I'm sure that's every community in, in it's also a clear visual of like how far we've come as well like back how, like however many years ago whenever your dad was struggling like well, A that wouldn't have happened like that whole yeah. talk wouldn't have happened but mm-hmm. nobody would have stood up because like you say it was probably a weakness yeah, yeah, yeah. we had a cousin in the family who was like very clearly had like depression or was very mentally unwell but he just wasn't very well yeah, yeah. you know like nobody ever said like why he wasn't at a party yeah, or yeah, yeah. why he just stayed in the house all day he, he was just a bit sick yeah, yeah. You know, so I feel like we've come a long way mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I like to end things on a positive note and I feel like as a as a chat and as a couple it's we've talked very positively anyway. But if you had to go through the same thing again and the same lived experiences again, is there anything like you would change in terms of like the support that you might look for, like outside of the family or is there things that you would do differently or Tough question. I think uh, it's great that we had, and you know, we had each other. But we suppose we had a small circle in the family again with Steve, and it was more. I guess it was more like a protecting of him because we didn't want people gossiping about what happened with Steve or what gone on, you know, or previous role or whatever it was. So it was more like a protective thing. But maybe just even sharing a bit further and wider, a bit sooner with mm. you know. But like, again, if somebody's living in that depth, they maybe don't want. Yeah. Joe Blogs picking up the phone and ringing them. So maybe it was maybe it was just right that we had the people who love Steve most involved in, in that part at that time, you know. Um, but even again to go back to to mum, like mum mum journeyed that road, you know, just ferociously and just so passionately with Steve, you know, encouraging him to get into work again, encouraging him to get into sport and, and just helping him be getting him out to things, you know, family gatherings and making sure he was always part of it. You know, it's yeah. just those little subtle things. But like he wasn't so. your cousin that just didn't come to the party. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, just all those things, like, I think, yeah, there's certain things you always say you could improve, but at the same time, I think we did it as best as we knew how, you know? I know you said you never saw yourselves as, like, carers or whatever, but, like, 
is there help, like professional help for somebody, like for the carers or the family of someone that's in a mental health crisis? Like, I don't know. Like, Well, I know certainly last year when Steve's mental health um, really took a dive, you know, in sort of August, September time, I know there was a, a mental health crisis where we went to the home and, and provided some form of assistance. Do they like support you guys as well? Or is it primarily for... I think it was mainly for the patient, but I think yeah. probably some support for mom at the time. Yeah. It is, you know, there. Um, I'm sure if you reached out to them, they would, because I know through work and my experience that they maybe, you know, you know, particularly maybe the next of kin, so maybe, you know, for mum or like a partner or whatever. Um, we personally weren't in contact with them, but my understanding is that I suppose they're open to that and supporting in some way so that, you know, because I suppose even for them to be there, if you needed to reach out, if you were worried about your person, yeah. you could say, but I don't really think they're doing so well. And um, it comes back to as well, like the how to have that conversation. Like, obviously they have those conversations day in, day out, and you're worried about tipping someone over the edge. Like, I guess they're the people to go to and say, look, I'm really worried about whoever, like, yeah. how do I approach this? Like, I don't feel like I need you guys in the house right now, mm-hmm. but how do I gauge well, I need you people, and I guess those sorts of people, like next of kin, parents and stuff, you don't see yourselves as carers, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, so why would you think there's help out there as well, I suppose? Yeah. I think even looking back on it, last year, I remember when Steve's mental health took a real turn, and I think at the time, he certainly would have said he had suicidal thoughts. Um, I remember even visiting the house, this is last September, um, I think sometimes just being present, yeah. You know, just actually physically being there and just show, you know, because I remember going around, Rachel was away and we were bringing our daughter around there and thinking this will be great, you know, this might help Steve feel a bit better. He loves, you know, kids and stuff and, and just loves on his, you know, his role as an uncle. And I just remember seeing Steve just motionless for the arm, yeah. you know, it was just... It's just not like him at all. No, no, and it was just a picture of, you know, where he was at that exact point. I guess you feel helpless as well or... That great idea I had with the yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. flatten its face yeah, and then I was trying also you wanted Steve to know you loved him and you you, you were there, but also mum was there in the home, and it was p- partly to encourage her as well because she was again carrying a lot of that stuff by herself, and that was a lot you know, um, but I mean it's just it's come out about this week last weekend there um the UFC fighter. Paddy Pimblett, obviously he made a speech after he won and I just wanted to share the wee quote that he, he gave um, which is there's a stigma in this world that men can't talk listen if you're a man and you've got weight on your shoulders and if you think the only way you can solve it is by killing yourself please speak to someone, speak to anyone and it's just quite a powerful reminder again of that simple need to share and to open up you know, or to try and speak to someone who's close by if, if you're in that place you know. Awesome, can I bring you in for a second so the guys talked a lot about like trying to reach out to you, just be there, being present for you. Did you feel that at the time? Or was it just kind of blinkers on, get through the next door? Like people might come in and out the door and didn't really notice. Or is that like something that definitely like helped you out? Yeah, I think the reason why Dave and Rich are here tonight because for me, in the last decade and what I've been through and the amount of times I've built walls around myself that I thought no one could penetrate 
give and me sort of very optimically sort the breakers of walls down I get into my space this is very precious space for somebody who is suffering severe mental health problems to get in their space and actually make that space just a very safe space space for me so Dave and Rachel made that space really safe for me to swear for me to say irrational things for me to tell them the thoughts that were in my head and me to tell them the things I'm worried about to just really invite them into that blackness so they they are here because for me they are a model of how to walk with somebody through mental illnesses it's very very unique rule to have in somebody's story but these are the ratio for me if not any way that I think lots of people listening could jump down to and fall 100% like I feel like you're the epitome of humble people as well like I said I asked you the question before about not wanting to pick up the phone or not look at the message and like that's from a very selfish point of view of like I know this is going to be a bad thing and I'm just going to ignore it for a while so like the fact that you just dive in and like deal with it and be present and be helpful is like unbelievable yeah there's a the book I read um a number of years ago by Henry Cloud it's called The Power of the Other and it's, it's like an American author writer psychologist and he, he tells a story in it about somebody who's training to be in the SAS and basically the final week they have the hell week where they try and break them and make sure they can't go any further and um, so they have to go through all this physical torture and um, run a lot and have to go through this swim they have to you know endure without very much sleep and all that and he was telling the story of how his friend was was finishing up the final swim in hell week in the final um half mile and he looked up and he was going to give up he had nothing left to give and it, he said in the story that he looked up to the shore and he saw another would-be soldier on the shore clapping his hands slowly and how just even that little picture gave him the boost to be able to finish the, the week of training and I suppose that just always reminds me of just that visual again of if somebody, at even one person is there and can cheer you on or support you or speak those words to you in, the, in that moment and the difference that they can make and maybe, that, maybe there's somebody listening who we underestimates their role in the story as well and they need to realize that even through that simple clap or through that simple word or simple just being there they can make a difference in someone else's life too